When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Using Rocket Pro TPO is like managing a team of all-stars. Our powerhouse squad of purchase underwriters, complete document reviews, and initial underwrites in just one day. With our industry-leading mortgage insurance and with a wide variety of products to use, your mortgage game will have zero weaknesses, helping you and your clients win more closings against today's tough competition. Rocket Pro TPO compete at the highest level. Call for cost information and conditions, equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, NMLS Consumer Access.org number 3030. You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis, America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis, Mortgage Mastery Mentor and Head Chicken Charge of Kinetic Spark Consulting. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. In today's episode, as I do so often, bring on investors because I think it's important for you to understand as mortgage loan officers and real estate agents and entrepreneurs who are listening as well, the importance of using this vehicle called mortgage lending or real estate, the real estate sales industry as a vehicle to create passive income for yourself in the future. We don't want to be doing short-term gain for long-term pain. Instead, we want to look at the long game that we have. And that's exactly what today's guest has done. So Lane, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's good to have you here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Aloha, everybody. So Lane's joining us from Hawaii and he's been investing for over a decade and controls a little over 4,800. I didn't want to say 48 because some people can't understand 4,800 with my voice. 4,800 units. He does crowdfunding. He does, I think the biggest thing you do is simple, passive cash flow. That is one of the biggest things that you really focus on. So Tell us a little bit about your history. I know you were in engineering. That's close to my heart. I know that you were in engineering, but what compelled you to make this transition to begin? We're looking at passive income as opposed to trading time for money. And then we'll talk a little bit about investing and how others can listen in on some new ideas and new ways of investing. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. So my kind of my path was, I call it the linear path. I was told to study hard, went to school, (laughs) became an engineer. Yeah. started working out in the field as a construction supervisor. Again, following this dogma of like buy a house to live in, mm-hmm. work at a job, invest in your 401k, max that stupid thing out. And <laughs> right. I bought this house to live in in Seattle and was never home because most young professionals, you're on the road a lot of times. So I just start, decided to rent it out. 
And I was like, wow, right? This is pretty cool. It's this cool. like passive income coming in. Like, why don't I just do this a few more times and be able to quit my job and farm my boss? Yeah. Didn't really like my first job. And, you know, who does, right? Like, nobody. You're does. the new guy. But then, you know, I got more sophisticated by listening to a lot of podcasts and books and started to learn more about the difference between gambling on appreciation in places like Seattle or California investing more for cash flow, eventually building a portfolio of 11 rental properties. A lot of these, what you call, you know, I'm sure people have heard turnkey rentals, right? right? These little $100,000 houses out in the Midwest. So I bought four in Birmingham, five in Atlanta, one in Indy, one in Pennsylvania. And that was kind of my portfolio around 2015. And then as you become more of a credit investor, you know, it's more of a tax game, infinite banking and getting your legal systems in place. Yeah. That was kind of the start of Simple passive yeah. cash flow. Well, to go from, you know, $100,000 little houses plucked here and there. So, you know, we all know it's the monopoly game, right? <laughs> to go from these little houses, you know, and trade them in for hotels, you know, the big houses, the multifamily. But how do you go from owning four or five of them kind of here, there and yonder to managing 48? I know you control 4,800. So do you own all 4,800? Do you own percentages of each one of these units? How do you go and make that transition? How did you make that transition into that higher echelon? Yeah. So I'm a general partner, sponsor syndicator of apartment complexes, right? Mm-hmm. But 99.99% of the listeners here, unless they're duped into kind of paying 30, 50 grand to go into some guru coaching program are going to be passive investors. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't you want to be, right? The returns are such where you can be financial. Most of the clients are financially free in four to seven years if yeah. they're already an accredited investor. You don't get the debt in your name. You don't get any of the management headaches, right? the legal liability, pretty much nothing. The phone um, calls. And you get to diversify over different projects or different geographic locations. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, that's where I started first, right? Like I had 11 rentals, started to realize single family homes just aren't scalable. Yeah. Right, from with 11 rental properties, if people kind of want to know, I had, you know, I have property management to do all my dirty work for me. I have to let, you know, let them know and prove expenses here or there. But with 11 rentals, I had maybe an eviction or two every year, some kind of bigger catastrophe that happened every quarter, like a tree falling in the house or a flood in the basement, something like that. <laughs> right. No problem. Right. Yeah. But yeah. at a few hundred bucks per property, that's what, $3,000 a month. That's nothing. You know, I don't want a yeah. American family can survive of that. Granted, that was a lot at the time, right? I mean, I'm right. not going to not have right. gratitude for that. But you start to realize, like, especially as the property is appreciated, you have more and more equity and y'all are mortgage loan brokers that like to get people to churn these loans, right? It's kind of hard for the clients to get at the equity efficiently without paying the mortgage brokers a big loan origination fee, right? You guys are on the other side. And as an investor, you know, you start to realize owning these rental properties is very kind of inefficient with a lot of friction costs to invest. And it just makes more sense to kind of take, once you become more of an accredited investor, to invest more as an LP partner into many, many projects, you know, dozens of deals. And that was kind of where I started to join different masterminds, different groups, get other high net worth accredited investors and started to move more towards investing in this type of direction instead yeah. of just being a small bulk of investing. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a couple other things that you said, maybe didn't say, but I'm going to bring out <laughs> bring out a little bit here as too. 
you know, when you're investing one after another, and that's fine if you're going to get started that way. The key is get started, do something. But as you're investing in these, because I know my husband and I, we did step vesting over a period of years and years. So we would buy a house and then we start saving again. And then we buy a house and then we start saving again. And the market went up and the market went down and the rates went up and the rate went down and our income fluctuated because we were mortgage people, right? So all of those crazy things played a role where we missed opportunities left, right, and sideways because we didn't have enough of a down payment. We hadn't saved enough to do a down payment. And then when we did, we maybe couldn't find the right house because it was too competitive and all these opportunities went by. One of the things I love about what you're doing and what I love about working you know, with multifamily and doing these sort of syndications is that you know, when I have the money, I just reach out and say, okay, who's got one? Who's got one? Let's make some more money, right? I love that you said you want to fire your boss. I love that. I love that, by the way. I want to just go back to that as well. So for those that don't understand, can you explain in simple, simple terms, the difference between accredited and non-accredited investors? Yeah. So accredited investors, I mean, people can Google this on the SEC website, but essentially it's not a super affluent person, but it's somebody who has got some money to play around with. Mm -hmm. They make over a quarter million dollars, maybe a little bit more if they're married or they have a net worth of over a million dollars, not including their primary residence, but little trick, just take a HELOC out and you got a million dollars, you're accredited. The truth is most deals out there are probably argue maybe 90%, they take in non-accredited investors. You just aren't in the company of a syndicate or sponsor that have access to this. But where most people will look at crowdfunding websites, which to me aren't a great source for deal flow, they're marketing a deal. They're playing a broker dealer and therefore they, they've already triggered that general solicitation and they've marketed a deal. Therefore, they can only do what's called a 506C offering, which only takes in accredited investors. Mm-hmm. So really the accredited status really doesn't mean much. But, you know, like you said earlier, right? Like there's a progression to this. When you started and I started, we bought little rental properties. We were broke back then. You know, I kind of call if you're under a million dollars network, you're kind of broke and you're starting out. Mm-hmm. And you buy rental properties to build your net worth up. But when you get to be about, you know, the first quarter million is the hardest money to make. And right. then it comes easier, it comes easier. But once you get around half a million, million dollars, you need to start thinking more as a passive investor, a limited partner, and start to expand your deal flow, your, your community to find other pure passive investors and sponsors and operators to invest your money with and start to invest really with the pros. So tell us a little bit about equity growth in this type of investing as opposed to just cash flow. Because, you know, we all buy as an investor, you either buy for cash flow or equity or both if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky. But these days, I'm all about cash flow. And I want to make sure everybody understands that financial freedom is not having a million dollars or five million dollars. Financial freedom is when your passive income exceeds your job or your expenses. I shouldn't even say your job. When your passive income exceeds your expenses, now you're financially free. That, by the way, is the definition from Sharon Lecter, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? That's financial freedom. So it could be 60,000. It doesn't have to be millions and millions and millions. But helping us understand what happens in this situation when you invest in something for the cash flow, but then there's an equity gain. Where does that come into play for investing in these syndicates? You can syndicate anything out there, right? I mean, you can syndicate a pizza parlor, a burger franchise, a real estate development, a stabilized cash flowing apartment with value add opportunity. The world, you know, kind of is their oyster. You can do anything. But the way I kind of explain like 
you know, let's just start from like a turnkey rental, right? A turnkey rental, there's no value add in it. It's just kind of a little rowboat out there in the ocean sloshing around. It's a good market. You're making money. If you're not, if it's a bad market, you're losing money in terms of the value. But it's still cool, right? Because you're still cash flowing and it's yeah. still anything better that you're getting in the stock market. in my Or your bank account. Yeah. Or your right. 401k. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But this is kind of where it gets into like my clients, right? Are high paid doctors, lawyers, engineers, or business entrepreneurs, which I think a lot of your audiences, right? We're not broke guys. Right. We're not guys that work for under 50 grand, 60 grand a year. Now, in the whole real estate world, and I think a lot of people that are listening may work with a lot of these more active type of real estate investors, the guys who don't have good paying professional jobs or businesses, mm-hmm. right? Business they have to get their hands dirty, right? Yeah. Or that might be their main thing. Maybe they're good at flipping houses and that's mm-hmm. cool for them. In fact, I like those guys because they pay all my taxes for me. We can talk right. about more about that later. <laughs> that's right. But, yeah. you know, like, in the whole world of you know real estate investing, you have active people and you have passive people. The difference between the active people is they're putting their sweat equity, they're finding good deals. And notice when I you know I talk a lot about turnkey rentals for people getting started. Well, sure, maybe people could say, well, you could find a better deal with more value opportunity. But the highest and best use of my clients and probably the people listening is to go churn more mortgage clients, right? Then yeah. screwing around like getting a contractor to do $50,000 upgrades on a single family home. $100 like, that's a just, in cash flow. Yeah. 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 It's just not going to like, it's just not your highest, best use. Right. Some of my doctor clients just go into the weekend, do an extra surgery and just make way more money and to just pay a turn, buy a turnkey property or put your money into a syndication, which is kind of the best of both worlds. Which in the, going back to the analogy of a turnkey being a little rowboat, a syndication deal is kind of like a cruise ship because in a couple of ways, first, it's very robust. I mean, you may have major expenses happening, but if you're sitting in a cruise ship, you don't really feel any of the rocking in the ocean. There's not really capital calls unless there's catastrophic failure. And then the other thing is cruise ships have engines where the little rowboat doesn't even have an oar or motor. Yeah. A lot of times, even if the economy goes this way, you can power through the currents. And if you're doing things like value add, well, what's value add? Well, you know, it might be as simple as changing out the flooring, the new countertops, new appliances, a paint job, just increasing the rents up to what they should be. Daisy X seller is value add or lowering expenses. That is what the magic of commercial real estate properties is as opposed to residential properties, yeah. which is based on comps. Well, and it fluctuates more with the market. The market is more sensitive to it than the others where it's not fail-proof, but it really is. I yeah, love the I, analogy. I love the we, analogy we, of the we, rowboat versus the cruise ship because- We take our, our own faith in our own hands, right? Yeah. We do. There's two kinds of appreciation. There is force appreciation where you change the net operating income of building divided by the cap rate, and you've created that value. Yeah, yeah. And then there is market appreciation, which is mm-hmm. just luck in my opinion. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? It depends on who's wherever. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's something that someone has to understand is when you're looking at single family homes, it's all about the fair market value, whereas in commercial, it's the value of what the income is that the property is bringing into the property, bringing in to the owners. And I'm not going to get technical with DSCR and all that stuff. I just want to make sure people know that the value is determined by how much income the property can generate after expenses. That's the most important thing, right? So that's kind of cool too. How long are these investments generally? And what happens if someone says, you know, I need my money back? 
I get that well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, but what if I need my money back for something? I mean, again, like, you know, big range of different projects out there, right? You can mm-hmm. put your money into all types of projects. I mean, like development deals. I mean, you can build things as quickly as six months. Yeah. More like 18 months is more of a general rule of thumb for development deals, a couple of years. For stabilized apartments where the plan is to, you know, for two goals, you want cash flow and appreciation. Well, maybe you only remove tenants naturally as tenants come up. And a lot of us own rental properties and know on average tenants move out in a couple of years. Therefore, if you go through five, 10% of the units every single month, you get through most of it in about a couple of years. Right. And, you know, you tack on a couple of years on top of that to stabilize financials. Now you don't really need much more than three to six months nowadays, but normal times, you know, you call it four to six years as kind of a normal time horizon. And to answer the question of like, well, what if I need my money back? Well, if you need the money back, dude, you shouldn't invest, right? This is for right. accredited investors. If you need right. 50 grand, you probably aren't managing your money properly. And where else are you going to get a better risk adjusted return? You got to put the bread in the oven to bake and you can't pull it out until it's ready. But that's why it's nice to find investments that also cash flow too. So it does mm-hmm. give you that cash flow stream as it put into development deals where you don't get anything until the property is sold at the end. Okay. And that's important. And that's why I was asking the question because a lot of people, you know, they get in and then they're afraid and they start getting, you know, they're risk adverse and especially in the mortgage industry. Well, and I should say the real estate too, because there's so much ebb and flow on income, you know, it goes up and it goes down. And I think that there's a fear of letting go of some cash for fear that the next market drop might affect it. But again, like you're saying, there's cash flow. What do you think the average cash flow is per month? Not on a percentage, but on in dollars. What do you think that really equates to when someone's buying, let's say it's a $10 million property and you're asking for a hundred grand from everybody. What do you think that generally looks like for someone to have that kind of income? Well, I mean, we usually go off percentages, right? Because nobody ever like, I mean, you're never really going to buy always 1% of a building. I mean, the buildings, they range from hundred units to 400 units. Mm-hmm. And from an investor's perspective, it really doesn't matter, right? You're just putting in 50, hundred grand per deal. And whatever, maybe the capital raises five million, maybe it's twenty million, right? And you just have your pro rata share of the income, and right. that's why we say it's more of a percentage basis. Yeah. But you know, typically investors are in maybe a dozen or a couple dozen deals after a few years, mm-hmm. and that kind of negates that whole question of like, well, what happens if that one deal takes longer? Well. Yeah. Dude, relax. That's why you have this diversified portfolio and it kind of pops like popcorn. Right. Not all your eggs in one place. Yeah. Because I know I was approached by a company that said, hey, you know, if you put a million dollars in, this will be really great. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'd rather (laughs) spread it out a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, than putting one big chunk. Yeah. My role with my investors is no more than 5% of your net worth into any one deal. That's a really good. And thank you. That's a really good thing for everybody to hear is no more than 5% of your net worth into any one deal. I think that's wonderful. But if you would like to do a million dollars, I'm not going to stop you. You know, I mean, that just (laughs) makes their job a lot easier, right? Right. (laughs) Well, if someone can do a million for every deal, then I think that makes more sense, right? But if all you have is a million, don't put all on one color. So what is the simple passive cash flow method that you talk about? Yeah, so a lot of it kind of plays on each other. For most accredited investors, and I think the listeners here, your guys' adjusted gross income is much higher than two to $300,000. You probably want to start employing some kind of real estate professional status on your taxes. 
caveat, I'm not a tax attorney, blah, 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 blah. You know, I do this, <laughs> I do this all the time. Right. And the idea is you guys listening need to learn this stuff to empower yourself to have the educated conversation with your CPA, your tax professional. If not, they're just going to do it the lazy way. That's easier yeah. for them. That's probably not the best for you. But unfortunately, you have to go into deals first. You yeah. do cost segregations and give you this big boatload of passive activity losses. Passive activity losses is what allows you to write off, drive your passive income down to nothing. And unfortunately, a lot of you folks and a lot of my clients have still high paying jobs, which is ordinary income. Now, ordinary income is not as good as passive income, right? You want to over time from ordinary income to passive income, so you use passive losses to drive that down to zero, pay less taxes. Right. That's where I think most of the people listening here, my clients, they're going to get the bigger bang for their buck, right? Like if we can drive somebody's, they're making 600 grand a year and drive them down to 400,000, we just saved them $100,000 in taxes right there. Yeah. That's a lot of pain in the butt short-term rentals or rental property income, right? Just that tax savings in one day savings. But so step one, you got to go into deals. But the problem is, well, who do you trust, right? Because everybody's got a podcast out there. Everybody's got like some kind of bull. Everybody's good marketing specialists. You guys are all lending brokers and realtors out there. You guys are, no, this is just a marketing game. To me, the only way to cut through all the noise is find other pure passive accredited investors and ask, build real relationships with them, kind of figure out where do you invest from there. But once you do, now that kind of kickstarts step two, right? Now you have the passive losses and you can play different games with your taxes. Personally, I don't pay too much taxes. I mean, they can go look at my taxes at simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. I mean, I have all passive income, so I write everything off and drive my income, pay tax, period. And then the third is, you know, for high income earners is infinite banking, but that's kind of third on the list. Doesn't move the needle as much as the first two. But once you get these three things done, I mean, most people who financially free in like yeah. several years, possibly. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And definitely, you know, this is something that requires some work. It requires taking some action, but taking action in a very strategic way so that you understand exactly how it works, you know, and unfortunately what has happened, not recently, I guess it was in 2008 when the credit crisis hit us, but for loan officers, you know, loan officers are 100% commission, but they're W2'd. So getting away from taxes is probably is not worse, but it's so difficult to do, whereas real estate agents can still do a 1099. They're still paid 1099, still can write off a Schedule C. So it's very difficult for loan officers. So this is another avenue that can help weigh that difference between what we used to have, which was non-reimbursed expenses. We used to be able to write everything off through that. Gone now. Right. So there's no mechanism to reduce the gross income that a loan officer has unless they can pull into some passive income to reduce that. So, anyway, so I think that's really important for people to understand, you know, as well as that this is a really good strategy, not only for cash flow, but also for, you know, and investing, obviously, but also for tax benefits as well. So, yeah, and I'm not a tax accountant either. So, blah, blah, blah. Follow your suit, yeah. right? Yeah, if you're I'm listening to some people on a but podcast, but I know, yeah, we both know because we're involved in it, and we, you know, we kind of know how it works, but we're not the expert, you know. Yeah, we also don't have jobs anymore, right? Like the CPA person anymore. They're right. still stuck in their job. They haven't figured it out. You know, if you, you know, real estate professional status, right? Like, you know, one doctor makes a lot of money, the other spouse doesn't do much. They can somehow dedicate 750 hours and jump through other hoops. Right now, you can unlock that barrier to use passive losses to offset that ordinary income. Right. If you're unable to do that, you know maybe land conservation easements are another solution. You know, there's kind of a myriad of different ways that the wealthy 
kind of yeah. make, get what they want at the end of the day. Yeah. So the key is to talk to your financial planner, talk to your CPA before you make any of these decisions. I will tell you that most likely your financial planner is not going to like you doing something that doesn't make them money. So that's something that you need to be aware of. So they may say, oh, that's a bunch of this and, you know, naysaying, but just understand from their perspective where that's coming from. And that's why you need to have the CPA as well as colleague investors who have gone through it to really understand how they're utilizing it. And unfortunately, what it does, I have to say, unfortunately, what it does is it throws you into regular financing becomes more and more difficult. My son has been trying to refinance for the last four months. And underwriting is driving him crazy over a $36 passive income loss. Yeah, maybe we should have you on my podcast. Because they don't understand it, right? I mean, they just don't understand what's going on there. And that's why there's so much of a push going into non-agency for a lot of investors right now, because underwriting just doesn't understand it. They don't understand, you know, you've got all these K-1s. A K-1 where he owns 0.000000001% of a syndicate. And it has a $36 loss. And seriously, it's a problem. So we just have to be aware of that as lenders and real estate agents that this does push our clients into other, you know, is always that downstream, right? There are different kinds of problems downstream. We solve problem here, but now we have some different problems downstream. We just need to be aware of that. As we finish up today, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I really like that. And I know you run the RIA in a lot and I can't read it. Aloha, right? But where do you run your RIA? Which island are you on? Where are you at? Uh, I'm on Oahu. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you run the RIA there. So, you know, that's another thing. Let's talk about RIA. I mean, I know there's a capital area RIA here that I belong to, but in the Washington DC area, but is RIA a good thing for someone who's thinking about doing this or is there too much noise in RIA with all of the different types of financing that's out there that, you know, a lot of wannabe investors show up and then they get really confused. So, Tell us a little bit about what we should be looking for if we want to start jumping into a RIA to learn more and meet more people. Like we said, like the biggest thing is other finding other colleagues and pure passive accredited investors to hang out mm-hmm. with. Fortunately, the local real estate club is not going to be that place because most people think of real estate as a get rich quick and they're broke, mm-hmm. right? Broke being under a million dollars net worth. They're house flipping, wholesaling, maybe buying remote rentals, maybe, right? But they're certainly not looking to syndicated deals. And because the people who are also syndication, private placement investors, most of the clients for me, it's between the ages of 40 to 55. They got families, they make multiple six figures. They don't have time to hang out with a bunch of bros at happy hour right. at a local real estate club. And a lot of the free online forms, you know, it's just a bunch of kids on there too. And this is why we've kind of changed the way we've format things. A lot of it's more private invitation to accredited investors only, more intimate, more private, more secure. And that's kind of the way we've gone. But, you know, I think that's my advice that I kind of tell people a lot is don't waste your time with these types of clubs. You know, you can get the sense of it who's out in there. It's kind of a time waster. What you have to do is just be on the lookout for accredited, real passive investors. Unfortunately, they're a little quiet. They value their privacy a lot more than the average Joe. But like stick at it, right? You know, if you spend two to three years kind of following and following up with the right people, you're going to start to build that little community. But you know, this is kind of why we created you know, simplepassivecapital.com and the family office of Hana Mastermind and the smaller, more intimate community events that we do. Yeah, it's to try to help people and mentor one another, really help each other, you know, understand. Yeah. And-, and there's a lot of sharks out there, right? Oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of guys who just love to get Jen to put in a million dollars into some <laughs> random deal, right? That doesn't make sense, right? That would right. let her do something right. like that. Never trust a syndicator, right? That's why I tell people, like, don't listen to what I'm saying. 
go meet the other passive investors, right? Build real relationships with people. Once you get to financial freedom in five years, it's all about the social relationships anyway. Yeah. You know, begin with the end in mind. Yeah, absolutely. What would you like to leave everyone with today? There's one piece uh, of advice. I guess like it depends on where you are. You know, if you're just kind of starting out, start off with single family home turnkeys. And then if you're more of an accredited investor, go into private placements and syndications, but at all points of the journey, figure out what your highest and best use. And you listen to this podcast, it's just feed the beast, build your machine, build your wheel, build your business, your mortgage business, or your realtor business. That's going to be the quickest way to trade time for money to put into real estate investing. Because this yeah. is not an activity. This isn't passive investing. Yeah, that's really key. You know, I used to say that and I still say that. I say it on a whole bunch of podcasts that I'm on is that it wasn't about the deal. It never was about the deal. When you have your why or you have your vision, it's not about the deal. It's about closing that deal so that you have the cash to be able to do what you really want to do. And knowing where you're going to place that cash and not knowing it's just too easy to spend. And then you find yourself 40 years down the road saying, geez, I made all this money, but where is it? What do I have to show for it? So that's what we're going to leave you with today. Thank you so much, Lane, for joining us today. I love your expertise. You know, it's amazing. I interview a couple of different syndicated partners and property managers and things and everyone has just a little different something for us to be listening to and good nuggets for us to be able to learn from so that we can make the right decisions. So Appreciate all the coaching and mentoring that you're doing for the listeners here. It really means a lot and love what you're doing. Congratulations on your success. I hope that it continues to grow for you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So again, everybody, thank you so much for listening to us today. And please don't forget to subscribe to YouTube and make sure that you give us a great five-star rating and write us a review, whether it's about what Lane talked about or something that you want to talk about or generally what you're loving with the podcast. We sure would appreciate that feedback. And until the next episode, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.